You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. It's good to see you guys here today. I'm Trent Stewart. I'm the lead pastor here at Foothills Church, and we are in a series that we're concluding today uh, called It Matters. And so if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment, but we started a couple of weeks ago as we, as we entered this uh, series saying that uh, the why behind the what matters. The why behind the what matters at Foothills Church. And so the why is the vision that God has given to us through the Great Commission to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them as we just saw this morning, um, and, and teaching them to obey everything that he commanded us to do. So everything that we do, no matter what we do, is founded in the principle of this huge, huge why, which is the Great Commission, making disciples. And it matters. It matters a great deal. Last week we talked about relationships. And specifically we talked about how the, the, the system behind the scenes matters. Not everybody sees the system. Not, not everybody you know, can put their finger on this. But we talked about how our structure or our strategy to make disciples helps people go from point A to point B. And so engaging in that system, engaging in that so that you can grow, and not only for yourself, but helping other people go through that is vital. Today I want to close with what is, you know, a bookend to the series, starting with the most important and now concluding with kind of the bedrock of the most valuable thing that we could ever seek to do as a church as we seek to make disciples, and that is experience unity. Because unity matters, and that's the title of today's um, sermon and my statement today is that people behind the process matter. People behind the process matter because here's the deal. It could be the greatest vision uh, in the world. You know, it could be on point with what the Bible says. <clears throat> we could have a great strategy. We could have a great process and all these things are, are in place and ready to go. But the people behind the process matters. And if the people don't have a unifying love for Jesus Christ and making disciples, if, if there's not unity in the church, then none of the other vision process stuff matters. And so unity is our focus today. People are the church. People make up the church. And so it's not a building. It's made up of a group of people that have unified themselves together. And Jesus says, and he promises that he's going to build his church. And he says, the gates of hell are going to come against us, but they will not defeat us. And so Jesus' team wins. The church wins as we seek to unify together and rally around his mission. So I want to start today with talking about the people behind our leadership process. Um, we talk about this in base camp, but some of you may not realize this, but our church is an elder-led church. Uh, we are in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, theologically, um, our structure is a little bit different than most uh, Baptist churches. Uh, we believe a plurality of elders is a biblical uh, view of, of, of how to lead a church. And so I, I say plurality, that just means more than one. So it's not just one person making decisions. It's more than one. It's, it's, a, it's what we call a council of elders. And so our, our leadership uh, of elders is made up of seven men. Three of them are lay leaders, uh, which means they're volunteers. And then three of them are on staff. And then, of course, myself. And so um, as a council, we deal and, and, and we function together as the elder council. And in three main areas, we're going to hold each other accountable uh, to, to, to these 
various things. And the first thing that we hold each other accountable to is the church's vision. So we meet every single month, and every month we're praying together. We're talking about issues that are going on in the church. We're talking about how we can shepherd better. Um, and and we're, we're focusing on our, our strategies, our, our ministries. Are they, are they focusing and doing what we are saying the vision is? So, so we're aligning around the vision. And then secondly, we're talking about the, the budget of the church. And so we're looking at you know, how much, you know, the, the, the offerings that I've received, the money that's been spent, where is it going? You know, are we staying connected to the budget? And so our elders hold uh, each other accountable in how, you know, money is spent here. And so that's an important thing. And then finally, in the area of church doctrine. So are there, is there teaching going on on Sunday on, on, in small groups and in other settings of our church where there is a false doctrine being taught, not a biblical understanding of theology? And so, so those are the major areas that we're gonna hold each other accountable on and we focus on. And, and by the way, we have an incredible, incredible group of godly men that are leading this church on the Elder Council the three volunteers are Randall Pickens, who is an, is, is an amazing guy, Steve Llewellyn, amazing um, leadership, um, and Jake Parrish. So these are our lay leaders. If you don't know them, man, get to know them. Um, our, our staff elders are our family pastor, Pastor Greg Gibson. Uh, James Swanson, our worship pastor, is on this team. And then Brant uh, Wagner is on this team as well, uh, our small groups and mission pastor, and then, and, and of course, myself. And so these guys are godly men, man. And you, you don't realize the amount of time and effort and energy that they put in above and beyond what, what nobody will ever realize to lead and shepherd and guide and protect this church. And I'm so thankful for their heart for this church and, and the vision of this church. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, as the lead pastor, I don't get to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Um, this is the system that we have in place of, of a plurality of elders. It's actually in our constitution that, that Foothills Church must always have a plurality of elders. And, and by the way, that's the system that I wanted and, and developed because I want that accountability. And, and they want that accountability so that we, we have um, the, the character and the accountability in that system to lead unquestionably in the direction that God would call us to leave. Um, and on a side note here, We've been working on the master plan as far as the architectural plans of our church, as far as building our auditorium and renovating this space for kids. And it's a huge, huge, huge thing. And it's taken way, way longer than I was hoping to develop. But our architect is about 90% done. And so we've given that to our contractors. They're bidding that price right now. Next step after we get that price is to cut that price, <laughs> whatever they come back with. And then, um, you know, working with the banks to figure out the best next step. And so it's like every single meeting we have as an elder team is God give us wisdom. God show us what to do here and make the wise decision. I mean, uh, God is just doing some incredible things in our church. And so we're, we're trying to follow his plan. This isn't our plan. And uh, so we're excited about that. Um, we'll, we'll give more information as, as things begin to happen. And so our elders are dealing with, with all kinds of issues. And by the way, their door is always open to you. If you got questions, if you got issues, you wanna talk to them, you wanna talk to me about anything in our church, man, we, we, we welcome that in our church and, and we welcome that communication. And so never hesitate. Um, and, and as an elder council, we deal with issues. We deal with problems in the church, and, and some of you are thinking, man, why do we have problems and issues in the church? Can't we just all get along? <laughs> Can't we just all love each other? Well, 
Um, I wish that that were the case, but because of um, our selfishness, because of sin, because of the fact that we all bring baggage into the church relationship, we have issues, you know, and every church does and every organization does and every team does. And, and so how we deal with those issues says a lot about the health of the church because there are going to be issues. If we ignore the issues, then I believe it, it, would, it, would, it would show us that we are an unhealthy church. We're just not going to deal with it. But our elders are dealing with it. And, and, and when you think about it as it relates to your marriage, you had a lot of baggage when you got married. You know, you had past sins, past mistakes, all how you were raised and what you expected out of marriage. And then you married this person with a different set of expectations and, and different baggage. And it took a lot of hard work for you to get on the same page. And for many of us, we're still figuring it out. Now you think about the church life and church world and now we're bringing all these different people, all these different backgrounds, growing up differently, experience different things, have different you know, opinions and different, and now God is unifying us to and calling us to be on mission. You can only imagine there are definitely issues. And so we're not surprised when conflict takes place in our church because Jesus said there would be conflict. He said that we are in a war. And the Bible says, and actually in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we, not only should we not be surprised when we see spiritual warfare and attacks from the enemy, we must expect those attacks to happen. On the screen, or you can look it up in, in your own Bible in Ephesians 6, 12, Paul says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, our fight is not against each other. Rather, it's against the rulers, against authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now that could freak some of us out today, but let me just affirm the scripture that there is a real battle, war taking place in the church across the world today. And the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy everything that this church would wanna be about and everything that he would call you to do in your own personal life. This is not a battle against me and you and you guys, each other. It's, this is a battle against the enemy. Expect it to take place. If you want to lead in this church, if you want to engage in the mission of this church, you better be ready for the enemy to punch you in the face because he will. And so the question is, when that happens, what do we do? What is our response? In Ephesians 4, Paul calls us to unify as a group of believers in his church. Let's look at verse one here. Now, quick note about Ephesians, chapter one, two, three are all about all the doctrine. It's, it's this heavy doctrine of how God has called us, he's elected us, he's adopted us, and, and, and he's redeemed us, and it's because of this calling that now we are called to live a different life, and that's where he starts in verse one. Paul says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So walk differently. I want you to walk worthy of this calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, listen to this, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. See, that's the key. He wants us to be eager here. In other words, passionately pursuing and fighting for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So as we look at that, I want to mention a few words here, and then I want to talk about some four truths to what unity really means in a church. But the first word I want you to circle in your Bible is this word worthy. 
This is huge. What does that mean, worthy? Because a lot of us don't feel worthy to be anything. We don't feel worthy, you know, to, to have somebody's love. We don't feel worthy to be a, a believer, to have Christ in our life. We get that. But he's calling us to live this worthy life. And so, so the essence of this word worthy, its root meaning deals with equal weight. And so balancing the scales is, is the idea. And so our practical living must balance and, and, and balance with the weight of this calling that God has given to us. So there's this calling that, that God has, has called us to, to be a believer, to be redeemed, to be the children of God. You know, he's elected us, he's adopted us, and this weighty calling of serving him must be balanced with the reality that our life should be lived out differently. And how does that life lived out differently. He says, a worthy of the calling. Now the calling is Jesus calling us to salvation first and foremost. And so it's not you that decided that you wanted to be saved one day. It was the Holy Spirit calling you to salvation. Without that calling, we would never want Jesus on our own. And so he calls us to that. That's that election, adoption that takes place. And then we respond and, and yes, we, we repent and turn of our sin. And, and then from there, the calling then becomes walking in this manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life. And so he says, live a life worthy. So my question for you is, are you living this life worthy of the calling? Are you living a life that is worthy of the calling that he has given to you as a believer? You see, the person who is has the words of Christ abounding in them richly. Not only that, but it, the, the words of Jesus and the wisdom of Jesus saturate our minds. And, and with divine wisdom and all truth, when we face conflict, when we face disunity in the church, we're not asking, how does this affect me? Our question is, how is this situation affecting God's church? Because in that me or the mission moment, am I gonna make this about me or am I gonna make this about the mission? The selfish, inward-focused call that we have because of our sin would wanna make it about us. How does it affect God's church? Any, any fruit and, and the fruit of our actions will always display our heart. So it doesn't matter what you say your motivation is, it doesn't matter, say, what your intentions are. The fruit of your actions reveal your heart. And so we've gotta recognize that if the fruit of our actions is broken relationships, division, disunity, slander, gossip in the church causing division, we know and we must recognize not only are we not walking in a manner worthy of the calling, but we are being used by the enemy himself. In verses two and three, he talks about the character qualities of what it looks like if you are walking this worth, in this worthy manner. He starts with humility. So the idea of humility, sometimes we're, we're confused with. I think Timothy Keller sums up um, this, this idea best when he says this. Humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. <laughs> that sink in there? Think of yourself less and then you're on the pathway to humility. John MacArthur says that, that, that out of the, the root of pride comes every sin. And in the same way on the other side, every virtue has its root in humility. And so humility is something that we want to seek and we, we must desire. And, and the reality is we cannot have unity if there's not humility 
in the believers of the church. If we're exalting ourselves, we'll never have unity. If we, if, if you, you have to have a willingness to surrender your desires and your preferences in order to experience humility in your life. And he says, not only have humility, but be gentle and patient and bear with one another in love. I mean, there are a lot of unlovable things about us, aren't there? And, and we, as, as believers, and even in your own family, you work through, you bear with one another in love, you know. If, if there's no love there, then there's no bearing with one another. And as a church body, as a church family, we are patient, we are gentle, and, and with humility, we bear with one another in love. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife. <laughs> see, anywhere you see strife in your marriage, anywhere you see strife in your church, the reality is hatred has stirred up strife. But love covers all transgressions, it says. And so we have to deal with the unlovable parts of each other. And part of that, um, all of these qualities is rooted in the pursuit of unity. Like if we're not pursuing unity in our church, then there's no need to be patient and kind with one another. I mean, what's the, what's the purpose in that? Like the foundation here that he's telling us is that we've got to be united. United in vision and mission United, working together for the same cause. And so this is a holy passion that each believer must understand. It demands full dedication that every church member would would fight for unity and be eager to fight this fight. You see, where there is unity, there's peace. But if there's, there's no peace, there's no unity. And as we think about this unifying aspect of the church. This, this church is like a melting pot of diverse believers, you know? All of us different, coming from different areas, thinking differently, different skill sets, all these different differences within us. And yet we are a melting pot that rally around one commitment to glorify God and make disciples. And so, so what does it look like to unify? So a few points here this morning, four actually. Number one, unity comes from the Spirit. Plain and simple. We're never unified with all these diverse people unless it's the Spirit actively creating that unity within us. All throughout the scripture we see that. Let me suffice it to say verse three proves that point when he says eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so the unity comes of the Spirit. Let's continue verse four. He says there's one body and there's one Spirit just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so this unity comes from that one Father, one Son, one baptism, one faith, one God and Father over all. Unity comes from the Spirit. So then, if that's true, then, then when someone is causing disunity, it's easy to see that they are not operating in the Spirit. Think about it. If there is someone that is causing disunity in the church, then we know based on the evidence and based on the fruit of their life, as they cause this unity, we understand that they are not operating in the spirit because in the spirit leads to peace and the spirit leads to unity. If we're not demonstrating the fruits of the spirit, then we know we are acting in accordance with our flesh. Fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, all of these things, if we're not demonstrating that, we're, we're walking and, and living not a life worthy of the calling, but we are living in, in, in our flesh, 
and what our fleshly desires would want us to do. Now, Jesus speaks of, of people who are dividing the church and, and people who would be divisive. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 15 to 17, you can turn there, it'll be on the screen. Jesus tells us to beware of them. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, so Jesus says, there will, be, there will be swift talking, smooth talking. Their words are like butter, Psalm, so the psalm says. And as they manipulate and use their words, they are in sheep's clothing. In other words, even if they think their motives are pure, even if, even if they think they're doing good, the very fact that their fruit leads to disunity shows that they have clothed themselves as a sheep, but inwardly their desire is to destroy as a ravenous wolf. Here's what he says, verse 16. You will recognize them by their fruit. By their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And so we've all been in church. We've seen people like this. If you've been in church for, let's say, uh, five minutes, you've probably experienced this at some point. You know, someone who <clears throat> claims to be led by the Spirit, but they gossip, they criticize, they slander, and as a result, create disunity in the church. Usually, when we see their fruit, usually when, when we see this division taking place, we see young Christians being divided, we see confusion and manipulation taking place, and as a, and as a result, the church experiences chaos. And so that's why in verses 26 and 29, it calls us to live this worthy lifestyle. Look at verse 26. In chapter four of Ephesians, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Sometimes that's applied to our marriage. It's a great thing to do in your marriage. Don't ever go to bed angry. Deal with it and get it out. But at the same time, as a church, as we seek unity, if someone is angry about something, then they must deal with it then. If they don't deal with it then, 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 then what happens is the devil gets a foothold in the church. Let's continue in verse 27. He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Deal with it. And give no opportunity to the devil. So if we don't deal with it, we're giving the opportunity to the devil to destroy, kill, and steal. You see, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that Foothills Church is doing. And in your own personal life. Jump down to verse 29. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Build up someone. So if we hear criticism and slander, first of all, if someone ever comes to you and says, man, that's so-and-so, and, and criticizes and slanders them, the first thing should be, whoa, 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 whoa. Have you gone and talked to them about this? No, I'm just venting, I'm just upset, I'm just whatever. Listen, I'm not gonna let the sun go down on your anger, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the opportunity for you to go and share your concerns and the sins that were committed against you um, and I'm going to give you until the sun goes down. Our, what we say is 24 hours. And if you don't do it by then, then I'm going to have to share that with them. So we don't want the devil to get a foothold in this relationship. You see, that's the wise thing to do. But what do we do? Oh, tell me more. Let me hear. Give me some more. Let me jump on board. Let's stir it up, you know. And the enemy wins. The enemy deceives. The scripture is clear. No corrupt talk comes out of our mouths but only what is building up 
and, and, and that gives grace to those who hear. Here's why, verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. So this disunifying language grieves the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of, re- of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving in a, one another as God in Christ forgave you. You see, the divider, the, the wolf, is full of opinions but low on the spirit. And you know this by the words that come out of their mouth. Their words reveal their heart. Here's what the Bible says about this person in Titus chapter 3 verse 10. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So here's the deal. I'll warn you once, I'll give you a second warning, but after that, man, I'm done. Go do your thing. I'm, 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 I'm unifying myself with the mission of God. Man, I've had to do this. Man, I've been in church life my, my whole life. My dad being a pastor, I've seen men and people coming through his, his ministry, can, you know, criticizing. and Man, he's dealt with this. It's, a, it's the attacks from the enemy to try to distract leadership from the mission. And, and uh, I, I experienced it many times as well. And, and, and I think all the way back to an example in high school, when uh, playing basketball, we had a great, great team and, and, and a lot of great guys. And there was one guy named Mark that I was friends with. He was a, um, fun to be around. Um, but for three years, Mark had a, had a bad habit of criticizing the coach and, and talking bad about him and, and criticizing other players and kind of making fun of people. And, and he just kind of had a short temper. And so he kind of blew up a lot. And in games, that was a problem. He was the guy always yelling at the ref and, and he would get technicals and that kind of stuff. Well, my, the summer before my senior year, well, there was a game and it was close, and this, this was like a scrimmage game, you know, but there was about a minute left, and um, Mark got a technical, ran his mouth again. Uh, the other team made both free throws, and we lost by one point. And, and for, for my coach, that was kind of the, the final straw. He pulled in the, myself and the other captain of the team and sat down and said, guys, this is what's going on for three years. He's been critical. He's been divisive. He's a thorn on this team. And you're about to do something special this year. You have the opportunity to do something special this year, but with him on the team, it's not going to happen. He's going to ruin it. And so he made a tough call and he dismissed him from the team. And, and he asked us for our support as one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with, you know, as, as a teenager dealing with somebody that you loved and a friend and, and having to disassociate myself with him because of all the turmoil that had taken place. And our team was successful and did great things, did way more than we should have done that year as a result. And, you know, back in the day in high school, it wasn't like, let's sit down and talk. It was, we're going to fight after school today, you know? So it was a big deal, you know? And so, so, you know, when you think about it, even in a worldly situation, my, my coach was not following, you know, Titus chapter uh, three here. He, he was just doing what was, what was best for the unification of the team. And if you're in sports and if you're a coach, you know how important unity is. You cannot have that. And the same is true in the life of a church. Unity comes from the spirit. And so anyone causing division is not living and operating in the spirit. Secondly, unity provides a positive witness to the world. So one of the best evangelistic methods and tools a church can use to win the world, to win the community, to love Jesus is by our unity because they see all the diversity. They see that we're different ages and we've got all these different personalities and yet we are united together in love to accomplish something greater than ourselves and only the Spirit can do that. 
Jesus prays for this in John 17. Right before he was arrested, he says, I ask that they may all be one. He's praying for our unity. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the unity that he's praying for allows the world to see that God sent Jesus into the world to save the world. It's a positive witness to the world. Thirdly, unity brings glory to God. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Our, our chief end, our goal as human beings is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is your purpose in life, bar none, period. And, and how do we glorify God? Well, we glorify him by making disciples and serving his church. In Romans chapter 15, five and seven, it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. That's unity, harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice, unity, harmony. God grants us this and by doing that we give him glory. Now listen, the mission is bigger than any one of us. And when you start messing with the unity of God's church, you start messing with the kingdom of God and his mission in the world. And that's why it's so important for our elders and leaders and and members, partners, to fight for unity. Number four, unity takes discipline. Unity takes discipline. When unity is disrupted, I mean, how do we respond? What do we do? Well, as elders, we're called to protect the church. We protect and guide and guard against the enemy at work within our church. And so if, you're, if you've got your Bibles, flip over to Matthew 18, because this gives us an example of what discipline looks like in a church. Because here's the deal. If there's no discipline at home, there's chaos, right? If you don't discipline your kids, crazy. Teachers, a lot of teachers here today, I'm sure. If, you're, if you don't have discipline in your classroom, not a, lot of, not a lot gets done, does it? In the same way, if there's no discipline in the church when sin is taking place, then, then things get a little chaotic. And so here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Few, few comments here. So, the, the first thing that we see is that there's three steps when conflict or sin is taking place against us. And the first step is one-on-one. In other words, a private confrontation. Because the deal that we want to follow in this model is that we don't want to make something bigger and include more people than need to be included. We don't want to make an issue bigger and we don't want to include more people because the Bible specifically says keep it a private issue if it can stay a private issue. And so the problem in the church world is somebody comes to you and gossips and slanders about somebody else and you listen to it. And you listen to it another time and a third time and a fourth time. Before you know it, your sin has been corrupted by that slander as well and you've modeled that to other people. And so to fight for unity, again, we confront one-on-one. Now, what sins do we confront? Every time somebody offends you, you gotta go Matthew 18 them, you know? Hey, bro, you didn't say hi to me in the hallway. We need to have a little one-on-one conversation. 
Like, come on, man, you'd be doing that all day long. There's gotta be something more to this. I think it's clear. Jesus says, if a brother sins against you. So if a brother sins against you, and not, man, you sinned against this person, and so I need to confront you on behalf of all these people, that's unbiblical. If someone sins against you, then you, then you would then begin that process. So what kind of sin, you know? First of all, the Bible's pretty clear. We don't, we, we, we don't just do this at every single time, you know, something happens to us. The Bible says actually in Proverbs 19, b it says to overlook an offense is a glorious thing. So to overlook an offense is a glorious thing. We forgive and we move on. We don't expect everybody to come and apologize to us. And we don't get up in front of the church every time something happens. So to overlook these offenses is a glorious thing. So there's three major and primary issues that we deal with as a church as it relates to discipline. And the first one is in doctrinal heresy. So if someone is teaching uh, contrary to God's word, then we as a church would one-on-one, you know, two-on-one, and then before the church. If someone is, has failed morally, they've committed adultery, you know, they've done something like that. And so, you know, that is a, a, a sin that, that we, would, we would confront. And then finally, divisiveness. That's how serious it is. If you look all throughout the scripture, you see that these are the three main areas that, that, that uh, discipline takes place in the church for. And so divisiveness is so serious to the work and ministry of the church that we must always fight for unity. And so there's a private, there's a smaller group confrontation. That's the second step if the first step doesn't work. And then finally, it's before the entire church. Now, we wouldn't do that on like on a Sunday morning because then there's unbelievers here, there's non-partners here, and this is a church thing. We don't want to make it bigger than it needs to be. We always, you know, however the uh, large the offense or the circle of, of, of the offense has been, that's the size that we want to keep it at. And so that's where gossip and slander, you know, ruins a church because drawing a crowd in and drawing more and more people into the slander and drawing more and more rumors into the situation causes further damage to people's lives. And so, man, churches experience this on a weekly basis. A lot of churches in our own city have been divided by this very thing. It's a hurtful, hurtful thing. And I'm telling you, it's the enemy strategy. What better way to destroy a church than slander and cause rumors to violate other people and ruin the unity of the church? Discipline brings peace and so we must be about that and so our our elders we we are actively doing that and we have done that over the course of six years and dealt with different people and had different situations that take place because we believe it's important so so again we notice that it's a sin issue and 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 we overlook offenses and and we allow forgiveness to be rooted in our heart if there's a difference of opinion then that's not what we're we're, we're confronting like you did this the wrong way or I think you should have done it that way. I mean, that's silliness. You know, that's pettiness. Um, we, we seek to confront in issues of sin. And anytime we attempt this, we want to examine our own motives. Because we can easily deceive ourselves, thinking that our issue is a, a level 10 issue, and that we got to do this, and this is huge. Really, it was like a level one, and nobody really cares. But depending on who you are, man, you can stir it up. You can make it huge. We deal with the problems on the level at which it presents itself, making every effort to involve no one other than those already involved. And so again, when we see the wolf stirring up and causing more dissension, we know by their fruit that this person is not 
operating in the spirit because the very point of this discipline is redemption. It's reconciliation through love. Just do more research on church discipline. You'll see the, the, the point is redemption and in love we do this. And, and, and that's the whole goal and purpose behind it. And so uh, on September 3rd, we're gonna teach you a class. It's called Camp 3. And we're gonna talk about how to handle conflict. And we'll talk about it in the church. We'll talk about it in family. It'll relate to work. But how do we do Matthew 18 appropriately and, and, and honor Jesus in his word uh, so that we can promote unity in the church? And so I encourage you guys to sign up for that. And, 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 and here's the deal. The people behind the process is important. And so I'm asking you guys to engage. We've been talking about the vision, we're talking about the strategy, and now I'm talking about unity, and that takes every single one of us doing our part. Unity matters. Flip back over to Ephesians 11, and I'll, I'll wrap this deal up. But, but, but this is important. It begins in, in uh, going back to verse 11. Paul talks about the different giftedness and the purpose of what elders even really is. And he continues with the main thrust here in verse 11. And it says, and he gave the, some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Why is he equipped evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So my main job as the lead pastor here is to teach you and equip you what God's word is. Like the most important thing I do every week is what I'm doing right here, right now. And this is the point of, of, of what leading and teaching and being an elder looks like. And, and verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith, and there it is again, the purpose of this teaching is unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So we learn about him. Why? To attain or to mature to manhood. Well, we gotta grow up, you know? We've gotta act responsibly as men of God and stop acting like children and start acting like godly men as we handle issues, as we pursue unity, and as we seek to make a difference in this community. Verse 14, here's why we've gotta reach this mature manhood, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Deceitful schemes, human cunningness, all of this takes place in the church. And he says, if you're carried by this like a wave, then you're a child and you've got to overcome and we want to mature and be equipped in how to handle this so that we can understand the purpose of unity. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every joint which, is, which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So as you do your part, and she does her part, and I do my part, together as we grow and equipped, and as we seek the mission, as we are eager to create unity and not disunity, the Lord uses us, and we grow, and we make disciples, and man, God has been doing that here at Foothills Church I am blown away every single week when I hear about what God is doing here. You know, in the last two weeks, 10 people have accepted Christ. Let me say that again. In the last two weeks, 10 people have accepted Christ. We baptized some of them today. 
I had a guy who has stage four cancer. He's about to, he, he could die at any moment. He, he, the doctors don't give him much longer. He receives Jesus. He learns about baptism and he wants to be baptized immediately. And I'm like, well, you know, yeah, we can baptize you any Sunday, really. We're just like, no, you don't understand. They're about to put a, a port in me. And if you know anything about cancer, when they put a port in you, that, that, that gives the, the, the chemo a chance to kill the cancer in your body, but you cannot be submerged in water. And so with tears in his eyes, he says, is there any way that we can do this before Sunday? Because once that enters, I don't know if I'll ever get another chance to do it. And I said, man, you tell me the day and we'll, we'll make it happen. So we filled the tub up on, on last Tuesday night, a week ago Tuesday, and, um, and his family came and everybody was crying and excited. And this guy comes out of the, goes into the water and like three people have to carry this guy he goes out of the water, like pumping his fists and laughing and hugging. And I mean, God has changed his life. Only the Spirit does that. Um, we gave away the CD, and, and you can still download that, by the way, online. And, and one person sent the link to a friend, and, and uh, the friend sent, uh, listened to the album all week, and then she sent this text back to a friend. She said, I love Foothills Church and the worship album. I think it's finally giving me the push I needed to get back into church. I haven't been since my dad died. So thank you. Smiley face emoji. <laughs> and make sure that was in there. Yeah. I mean, hey, let's record our night of worship and give it away to people. And let's watch it change people's lives that we don't even know. And that's the spirit of God working. We had a, man, I, I could tell this story like a hundred times, but it happened again. Like, like one of the kids that came on a Wednesday night accepts Christ. Um, I, actually, I think it was at, at the camp they went on this past summer. They accept Christ and they're like, mom and dad, you gotta come to this church. And first of all, anytime your kids say, you gotta go to this church, a miracle of the Lord has happened, right? Amen. Aren't you glad your kids love coming to church? I mean, I hated it growing up. My parents had to drag my tail out of bed every Sunday morning. My kids get mad if we're like, you know, if we're not like an hour early. They get mad. And so, so man, praise God. So, so this, this kid's like, man, my parents, you got to come. You got to come. So they came. They ended up going through base camp. They went through base camp and they went through the, the, the interview at the end and realized that they needed Jesus and they accepted Christ right then and there last week. Amazing, ready to be baptized. Life changed. The last two weeks of our church, we have broken attendance records. We broke 1,000 for the first time two weeks ago um, and we've had 1,000 before but never just on an ordinary Sunday. So we, we, we broke that two weeks ago. Last Sunday, we had almost 1,300 people here. I mean, come on. God is moving. And here's why that's important, because people matter. People matter. You say, Trent, you're always talking about scooting in and giving people room and parking. and You're too worried about all that junk, Trent. Well, let me tell you something. Without the parking, without the chair, People aren't able to experience what we experience every Sunday. How dare you be selfish with what God has done in your life? How dare we be so inward focused that we wouldn't want somebody else to experience this? You see, God is moving, and I'm asking you to, to engage. This, this is a big deal. It matters so much that everything that we do as an elder team and everything that we do as a church is, is really hanging in the balance, heaven and hell. 
I mean, we realize that, right? We, we are talking about heaven and hell here. We're not talking about color of the walls and who said, she said, whatever junk. Like, we're talking about life and death here. And if you want to talk about that, engage. If you want to talk about the junk and the gossip of the world, man, I, I know there are plenty of churches in this community that would love to have you. But here, no matter what happens, no matter where you, know, you go, no matter what you do with your life, I can tell you this, Mike and I are all in. We're gonna continue to give, we're gonna continue to serve, and I, I'm gonna continue as your pastor to do everything in my power to preserve the unity and to seek the Lord in every direction that he would call us to. Whether I understand it or not, I'm running after it. And I'd like you to go with me. Would you pray with me? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father God, we love you. You are, you are so real in this place. God, you're moving in this place. Father, help us to be bold and help us to, to live our life that, that would bring glory to you. Help us to fight for unity. God, help us to mature in our faith. Lord, help us to see more people come to know you. Keep us out of the way of your spirit moving here, Lord. Keep us humble. Keep us focused. And Lord, we desire more of you in our life. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this series has been like internal church stuff. The next series, man, invite, get your invite on, man, because this is the series to invite people to. We're going to be talking about pain and hurt and, and, and just brokenness that, that comes into our life as a result of all kinds of different things that, that happen to us in life. And, and how do we move through that? How does God grow us through that? So it's going to be an incredible series. I hope you'll come. We've got some great stories we're going to share throughout this series. And so invite some folks. We love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.